I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, XPRIZE fans. Welcome to the Future Positive Podcast, a podcast from XPRIZE that aims to bring you the most future-forward topics. Here we meet the world's brightest minds across a kaleidoscope of disciplines, cultures, and points of view. I'm your host, Sofia Tapia. If you're new to the show, in each episode, you will hear from world leaders, creators, entrepreneurs, innovators, and change makers who are paving the way for innovation on and off this planet we call home. Since the AI for Good Movements Foundation, we have seen numerous great examples of how artificial intelligence can help solve the world's problems to address the UN Sustainability Development Goals. But AI technology is being developed in such a manner that its governance is at stake, and the signatories of the SDGs have pledged to leave no one behind, which raises all kinds of questions on accountability. How can we develop accountable AI solutions, and how can we provide fair access for all? Let's find out. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Fritz Bussemaker, I'm the co-founder and chair of the Institute for Accountability in the Digital Age, and also the deputy chair of the Outreach Commission for the AI for Good Global Summit. So the topic today is how to develop accountable AI solutions. And we have two panel members for which make some opening remarks. First of all, Amy Verweinsbergen. She's an assistant professor in ethics and robotics at the Technical University in Delft, and she will present on the role of data ethics. And secondly, we have Jan Kleiser, Director of Information Society Action Against Crime, part of Council of Europe, which will take us on the Council of Europe's approach to establish a legal framework for AI. So to give you a little bit of context, uh, the Institute for Accountability in the Digital Age. First of all, this was set up in 2017, instigated by the late Dr. Inderit Banayi, he was the director of knowledge societies at UNESCO, and he saw a growing concern uh, about the gap between the fast developing digital technology and the legal and regulatory framework. Now, this is not just about AI, this is also about social media, cybersecurity. And because of that concern or that gap, we set up this institute to help address uh, how we can uh, bridge that gap by stimulating a global and multi-stakeholder discussion. Now, I have to make very clear, we do not own the discussion on accountability, but we want to act as a catalyst. So also, this is part of that ambition, that desire to have a global discussion, how we're going to deal with accountability. Now, to make a link to AI for good, when we started in 2017, we had the very first event at the office of the ITU. For me, it was 
very much about awareness creation. What does AI have to offer? Immediately in the second year, we saw uh, showcasing great examples what artificial intelligence can do. And it was actually only in the last year that we saw the first mentions of the need for accountability in a couple of the keynote speakers. And we realized that we need to have, we, we want to develop AI for good. So we need to make certain that those systems are indeed doing what they're supposed to do. And if not, who are you going to call? And accountability in itself is not an end goal. It's a fundamental prerequisite, just like transparency, privacy, and security. So we're now continuing that debate. We started in 2015 with this online uh, event. Actually, right now, I would like to invite Amy van Weinsbergen to zoom in on her views on how data ethics plays a role. Amy, welcome, and uh, very interested to uh, hear what you have to share uh, with the audience. Thank you. Thanks, Fritz, for the warm invitation and welcome. And Jan Kleisen, I'm really looking forward to engaging in this discussion with you. What I'm going to do in 10 minutes is try to unpack this concept of accountability as it relates to artificial intelligence. And I want to address three kind of key questions. Who is accountable? Who are we talking about when we're saying uh, accountability? What are they accountable for? And why is this so important? I should also indicate that uh, I am, as Fritz mentioned, I'm an associate professor at the Technical University of Delft here in the Netherlands, and I explore the area of ethics and robotics and artificial intelligence. And really, my work is about uh, taking the, the abstract concepts from ethics and translating those into something that's very useful and usable for other academic disciplines. At the same time, I am also involved in civil society organizations, policymaking groups. I'm a member of the European Commission high-level expert group on AI, and I also have a role in industry. I'm a, a fellow at the Deloitte Center for the Edge. So the reason why I share these different roles is to also explain that while I'm giving my talk, I'm trying to take insights from all of these different places and engage them in one sort of line or, or thread of communication. So accountability, first of all, who are we talking about, right? I think it's important for us to remember that, you know, sometimes when we hear these phrases like responsible AI or trustworthy AI or accountable AI, sometimes we have the tendency to think that the technology itself should be responsible or trustworthy or accountable for something. But I think it's really important that we recognize and understand that it should be the humans who are accountable for the decisions that are made in the design, the development, the deployment, and the use of artificial intelligence. Okay, so the, the first thing that I want to put on the table is that we're talking about humans being accountable for the creation, the deployment, and the use of this technology. And the second thing is that it's not just humans who are accountable in terms of how we develop the technology, that is very important, but that's one stage in the life cycle of the technology. Really, we need to be thinking about accountability on this broader scale, right? So at every moment in the life cycle of the development, the deployment, and the use of the technology, there are different things that need to be considered, and there needs to be individuals or teams who take ownership for accountability along these different life cycles. Now, the next question that I want to address is what? What are the humans actually accountable for? Of course, there's a variety of different themes or ways that, that one could address this, right? Cybersecurity, sustainability, there's a variety of different areas that you could approach this through. 
I am putting on the table ethics, right? That we need the humans to be accountable for anticipating ethical risks for uncovering what those risks actually are or could be, for trying to make sense of those ethical risks, and then for mitigating or preventing those ethical risks. So the humans are responsible for what? For understanding and preventing ethical risks, again, throughout the entire life cycle of the development of artificial intelligence. Now, uh, just briefly touching on the why. Why is this important? Why am I putting this on the table? I'm suggesting that, that ethics, paying attention to ethics and the risks to societal values and, and, and societal ethics in general, that if we can establish procedures and, and systems to, to actually have organizations thinking about these considerations throughout the multiple life cycles of the technology, this is how we begin to establish trust, right? This is how we begin to establish trust in the systems that are put in place to create the technology and the people who are making, deploying, and using this technology. So that's sort of, you know, in, in a nutshell what I'm talking about. But of course, it's important for me to also answer the question, what is ethics? Right? What, what do I mean when I'm talking about ethics? The first thing that I want to say there is that, you know, we see now around the world, there's over 130 different AI ethics guidelines or AI ethics principles. And this is a wonderful start. But it's important to know that ethics is not just principles. It's not just guidelines. It's so much more than that. It's really a continual reflection on what is going on when we introduce a technology into society. Okay. So now sometimes some people that, that you can, can talk to about the field of ethics, they might say, well, ethics is about what it means to be a good person. Right? What are the, the virtues or the characteristics of an individual that we can say, yes, this is a good person? Other people might say that, no, ethics is more about a theory of right action. What does it mean to be able to say that an action is right or wrong or good or bad? And all of these are true, of course, but I think what's helpful for this conversation is to, to have a larger perspective of ethics. And this is an older Aristotelian view of ethics. And that is, we should really think of ethics as the study of the good life, what it is and how we can achieve it. And we use the language of values to be able to talk about the components of the good life. So values like sustainability, values like safety, security, privacy, well-being, these are the components of the good life, right? And so ethics is constantly looking at what are new components of the good life? Uh, how are these components within a society actually being realized? How are they being threatened? So ethics, the study of the good life, what it is and how we can achieve it, and then we have the introduction of technology. And it's very important because technology can actually change the way we think about the good life. It can, it can help us to realize the good life, right? It can help us to somewhat be connected with people right now, as, as we are right now. Technology is helping to facilitate this. But it can also threaten components of the good life. It can make us feel insecure about our privacy when we're sharing data or when we're sharing information in this hyper-digital space. So then the ethics of artificial intelligence is really looking at how does the design, development, the deployment, and the use of this technology actually impact the ability to realize the good life? Or how does it change what the good life looks like in the end? Okay? 
So um, what I'm suggesting then is when we're talking about, you know, humans being accountable for including ethics in the multiple design phases of artificial intelligence is that we need to start thinking about ethics as a resource ethics as a tool that can help us create better technology. And what I mean when I say that ethics is a resource is that really the field, the entire domain of ethics is looking at how do we uncover risks to ethical values, right? Ethical values that might be impacted negatively or positively, and how do we promote the technologies that really help to, to foster the, the different values. So it's about uncovering values, but it's also about understanding those values. What does a value mean in today's world? And I think an, an interesting example to think about this is privacy, the value of privacy, and how we see that the meaning of privacy has changed over time. That some people might say privacy is dead, but it's not that privacy is dead, it's just that we understand it in a different way. So if you take healthcare as an example, privacy decades ago was really about uh, keeping your body private, you know, having control over the fact that no one could see your body if you were in a hospital room. You have a curtain to enclose around the, the patient's bed so that you have some privacy. Nobody else is looking at you. But now, jump forward to today, and really when people say privacy in the healthcare context, they're thinking about control over their health data. They're thinking about, do I have control over who has it, uh, when it's shared, who else is allowed to see it and to use it? So privacy has not gone anywhere. It's just that it's changed in its meaning. And that's really important for us to understand because when you say that there's a threat to privacy, you need to know what kind of a threat you're talking about. And the reason why you need to know what kind of a threat you're talking about is because only when you know this can you do something to prevent that threat or to mitigate that threat. So now, of course, I, I'm talking about ethics and I'm saying that this is something we should be including as a way of, of enhancing or establishing accountability in the procedures that we use to create this technology. But I should also be clear that I'm not saying it's ethics or policy, ethics or regulation. No, no, no. Of course, we need both. We need to have the two together. But what I am saying or suggesting is that ethics is actually a way for us to understand what kind of policy we need. What are the values that are being threatened that we need policy in order to prevent those threats, in order to create a level playing ground that every company or, or organization must abide by. So it's not an, an either or, it's definitely a both, but I'm suggesting that ethics actually helps us to get to appropriate policy for this kind of technology. Not only that, but if we also start to embed ethics into organizations, we get to understand how the technology evolves and impacts our, our values and our conceptions of values over time. So it's one thing for us to understand that right now, there are certain ethical issues related to artificial intelligence, mostly around, you know, if we're talking about machine learning, it's the black box of the algorithm, who is responsible if we don't understand the rules that the model has actually generated. But two years from now, we might have different ethical risks that need to be taken into consideration in policy. And it's the job of ethics when it's allowed to accompany the development, the design, the deployment of the technology to be able to uncover and, and make sense of these new evolving ethical issues. And that way we can inform the continuous development of appropriate policy to protect citizens, consumers, and, and society in general. 
So with that then, my suggestion, again, going back to who, what, or why are we talking about this, I address industry at this point, right? So the, the particular who that I'm talking to are the developers of artificial intelligence, the deployers of artificial intelligence, and oftentimes the users of artificial intelligence. So this could be you know, private industry, but also we're seeing uh, public services using AI more and more. So as users, they should be thinking about this as well. But my suggestion to really be able to embed ethics or to, to have ethics accompany the design process is to think about it in three different sort of aspects. We can use ethics to inspire technical solutions, right? To create interfaces so that people understand where their data is going and how it's being used to, to train or to actually uh, feed into an algorithm. We can use ethics to help establish appropriate governance mechanisms, right? So if we want to have ethics embedded into an organization, we need to establish ownership. This is how we achieve accountability, right? Is there an individual or a team of individuals in an organization that are taking ownership for uh, data ethics, digital ethics, or the ethics of artificial intelligence that's happening. And I mean, having you know, a team in place to create principles that a company can use as their sort of North Star or, or to guide them, but it's not just about principles, right? It's about also putting procedures in place to make sure that all of the actions that are taken within a company actually make sense. They, they map onto the principles that have already been established. But the third way that I suggest that ethics can really be used as a resource is to start thinking about embedding ethicists on design teams. So within an organization, you'll have a, a small group of individuals who are working to create a new uh, artificial intelligence model or, or who are using a model and, and using it for new applications. And I suggest that we include ethicists on these teams. And, and the reason for this is because we usually have legal expertise, we have marketing expertise, we have computer scientists, graphic designers sometimes, and we need to now start to think about ethics or, or ethicists as, as being another skill that is added to the team that helps us to think about the unintended consequences, to, to think about what values could be impacted, what this means, so that we can start mitigating and preventing at the very early stages of design and development. So when you take these three together, that you have technical solutions, governance solutions, and co-development as a way of really embracing ethics as a resource, you begin to, to harness ethics within a company. And this is really how you start to facilitate that trust in a company, that the company is doing something, not just saying, yes, we have ethics principles, but are really doing something to show that they're putting processes in place to manifest, to realize these principles, they're creating technical solutions, and they're making sure that ethics becomes embedded into the very fabric of the organizations. So another point that I wanted to make is that ethics is not the same as compliance, right? When you have a policy, when you have regulation, then you're talking about compliance. But it's really important to understand that, that ethics is voluntary. It's, you're, you're not doing uh, ethics, AI ethics within an organization because you've told, been told that you have to do that. You're doing that because you believe it is the right thing to do for citizens and for society. And so if companies really want to show their commitment to establishing and or maintaining trust in this space, they need to act before regulation requires that they act. And I think 
you know, uh, artificial intelligence for the SDGs is a really great example to, to, to showcase or to, to, to make this uh, real. That companies are not obliged, this is not something that legally is demanded of them, but when they do this, when, when they say that they have a vested interest in creating their products to achieve the sustainable development goals, this is going a step further. This is really showing a commitment to being accountable for the achievement of the sustainable development goals. And then I should also say, let's take sustainability as a value though, right? Uncovering uh, what it means and, and why it's so important. And, and we, it's important for us to understand that AI for the SDGs is different from sustainable AI. And we also really need companies and organizations to be thinking about how they can create AI in a sustainable manner. So using ethics to inspire new kinds of innovation, whether it's reusable data sets, minimizing their computational power as much as possible for the training of algorithms, but using this value of ethics to actually inspire new kinds of innovation. So to close, what I was trying to do is to unpack this concept of accountability when it comes to artificial intelligence by addressing specifically the who, the what, and the why. Why is this so important? Who, is, who needs to be accountable and what is it that they're accountable for? So I'm suggesting that accountable AI is directed at the human stakeholders who are involved in the entire life cycle of AI. So design, development, deployment, and use. And that one aspect or one way of kind of painting the picture, one thing that humans need to be responsible for is the inclusion, the incorporation of ethical reflection throughout the entire life cycle of the development of these products. And so when we can think of ethics in this way, that it's actually a contribution to better design, this really shows a new kind of face to ethics, yeah? That it's not stifling innovation, that it's not a hindrance to innovation, that it's really something that is meant to harness AI innovation while at the same time making sure that we protect citizens and we create better products, better for people and for planet. So thank you, that's me. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what Jan Kleisen has to say. Hey, Amy, thank you very much. You have given us a passionate presentation on things to consider and it definitely raised a number of questions. So thank you uh, again. And it's now my honor and pleasure to introduce Jan Kleisen. Jan is the Director of Information Society and also responsible action against crime at the Council of Europe. And Jan uh, will take us along the Council of Europe's uh, efforts to establish a legal framework for artificial intelligence. Jan, first of all, very thank, uh, th I want to thank you very much for uh, your time and sharing your thoughts and uh, information. I also assume you will say a couple of words on the Council of Europe for those people overseas who are not familiar with the Council of Europe. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Fritz. I hope you can all hear me. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, very many thanks to, to my good friend Amy for a brilliant presentation on the, the question of ethics. Before I say a word about the Council of Europe, let me say a few words on, on COVID and artificial intelligence. Because many of us hoped that AI would somehow be a silver bullet that would help us find a very rapid solution to this nasty virus. Um, so far it hasn't. It has certainly helped. It helped in research, in sharing research, in bringing scientists together. We had hoped it would perhaps bring governments more together as well, although intergovernmental cooperation seems to be lagging 
very much behind scientific cooperation, but it has not proven yet to be the magical solution we, we hope for. And I'll develop that in a moment. A few words about the Council of Europe, which perhaps certainly those who are not from the European continent may be less familiar with. We are the oldest European organization. We bring together 47 member states. One of our founding fathers was Winston Churchill, but also Konrad Adenauer from Germany uh, and others who after World War II decided to set up an organization to ensure the protection of human rights, rule of law and democracy on the European continent. And this, uh, these are the three objectives we are working for. We're very much a treaty-based organization and we produce treaties conventions. A well-known one is the European Convention on Human Rights, but that applies only to the 47 member states of, of the Council of Europe and to our some 850 million citizens here in Europe. But we also have other conventions that deal with new technologies and that brings me to the immediate link with the subject of today. We have a cybercrime convention, the only cybercrime convention in the world that at the moment has 70 state parties, also from nearly all continents, and the data protection convention, convention that has 55 state parties, also from several continents, so going well beyond, beyond Europe. This to illustrate that the Council of Europe is not just working for a group of European states, but has set standards that have become really global, global benchmarks. Now a word about uh, accountability, the subject of today's, of today's talk. I would like to, to define here accountability as confronting people with the actions they take so that they cannot just do whatever, they will have to at some point confront the consequences and be faced with the consequences. And when we talk about artificial intelligence, a quote comes to mind from Jurassic Park which I think many of you, if not every one of you, will have seen. It's actually the first, I think, the first Jurassic Park where this film, where this quote comes from, where at some point uh, Jeff Goldblum, uh, you know, the scientist in the film, says when things go wrong, that you scientists were so preoccupied what could be done that never any one of you asked the question what should be done. And that is perhaps also uh, something that relates to artificial intelligence despite the fact that uh, it has not found a cure against COVID, it has, of course, a huge impact on our societies and will continue to have an even greater impact. Where governments tried to use it specifically uh, to fight the pandemic was by tracing apps, introducing proximity tracing apps. And what we have seen in most countries around the world is there has been remarkably little enthusiasm, remarkable little confidence of the public in these tracing apps. So clear, clearly, as Amy also explained, there is a, there is a problem of, of trust. The issue of trust is very important. Now we can ask, is it understandable or is it reasonable that people have this mistrust of technology and artificial intelligence being used by, by governments? Can things actually go wrong? And I think we can, we can all agree that things can indeed go wrong. I think it was about last week that in the United States uh, there were a series of reports about a, a wrongful arrest that was made on the basis of artificial intelligence and not surprisingly it was an Afro-American man uh, that was wrongly arrested because of a biased, uh, biased facial recognition system and we know that facial recognition which relies very much of course on 
like all AI systems on the data that are fed into it, uh, re reproduces the bias in those data. And that is a problem that we have with facial recognition in AI. We also have that very much with judicial, the judicial use of AI in the judicial system, because uh, biases are of course reproduced. That is an example of things that can go wrong. Other things that can go wrong with automated decision-making are even more dramatic when we think, for instance, of the, uh, the Boeing 737 MAX, where apparently there was a problem with the automated decision-making and the impossibility of a human override, the impossibility for humans to take over if the automatic system fails. So it's quite understandable that, the, that there is concern in the public about automated decision-making and, of course, privacy. The protection of data comes into play here very much because uh, we know that massive amounts of data are being gathered on all of us because we use so many applications because they're so very convenient and of course I'm one of them but we also are at least most of us are aware that uh, we pay a price there is no such thing as a free lunch and there is no such thing as a free application we pay with our data and we have a concern that this data can be abused especially because the concentration of this data in the hands of just a very few of very few companies gives rise to i think understandable understandable worries however uh, regulating by the way this uh, just the protection of privacy may not even be enough uh, there was a very interesting article in the in the guardian this week pointing out that uh, the computing power of the companies that collect this data is now such that uh, they can actually respect individual privacy and still come up with uh, AI suggestions or more than suggestions, uh, not only predicting uh, what will happen, but prescribing what will happen. And that is, of course, a real, uh, a real shift that should give us time to reflect, should make us pause, that we are moving from automated systems, helping us take decisions, predicting trends, to actually taking these decisions for us uh, and also even prescribing what we should be doing, what we should be doing in future. The ethical frameworks are a very good basis and uh, Amy has convincingly uh, demonstrated their, their importance. There are at the moment some 260 international ethical frameworks that have been collaborated in many cases by governments and civil society, and sometimes together with industry, so in a multi-stakeholder way. And they have one thing in common. They're not binding. You cannot take a company or a government to court on the basis of the violation of an ethical framework. And that is why in the Council of Europe, uh, we have started work on legal standards on artificial intelligence. Taking, of course, the ethical frameworks as a basis, because there are very good principles in there. Let me give you one example, the Montreal Declaration, for instance. Excellent, excellent principles. However, you cannot enforce them at present. So looking at these ethical principles, looking at existing legal standards, I already mentioned the Data Protection uh, Convention. I, uh, we have, the, as I said, the Cybercrime Convention. In Europe, we have the European Convention on Human Rights, which contains many principles that also apply when governments delegate decision-making to machines. It's the governments that are responsible, whether they act through human agents or through mechanical or uh, technological agents. 
but they're also new they're also new concerns we have areas uh, like like medicine for instance uh, where uh, there are very strict standards and where no doubt uh, the many um, uh, applications of artificial intelligence will already be covered under the existing regulations but when you think for instance of self-driving cars there we suddenly realize there is a gap because our existing regulations do not foresee automated uh, automated driving and decisions taken by vehicles which as we have sadly found out because there have been fatal accidents can can also pose a risk to human lives and the more of these vehicles we'll have on our streets of course the greater the chances are that things will go wrong so we're very much uh, convinced that we need to move uh, from very important ethical standards stress very important ethical standards look at existing legal regulation but move beyond that move beyond and start uh, identifying in what areas the design uh, and application of ai needs to be regulated like amy i'm not talking about regulating a technology we're of course not talking about regulating ai as such and there are certain applications of ai where perhaps legal regulation is not necessary uh, where perhaps self-regulation of industry uh, can be sufficient thinking of music platforms uh, to which many of us subscribe whether one song whether song a is suggested to you or song b may not uh, directly and will not directly affect your human rights in all cases i can think of so perhaps their self-regulation would be okay but when we think about facial recognition when you may be arrested or, or worse because of uh, wrong wrong analysis faulty biased algorithms then i think we really need to to ensure ensure your protection so we're looking at these at these uh, principles at the moment in the council of europe we have set up a special committee of national experts who work together with experts from industry and civil society and not just our our european countries we also have uh, for instance united states canada japan mexico and and other countries that are now applying to join these uh, these negotiations to examine the possibilities of such a free legal framework for those users of ai uh, which directly affect uh, our human rights those applications and we need to look at preferably uh, from the design phase already uh, you know the term privacy by design uh, also human rights by design i would very much argue here and of course their their application and their implementation by governments this is something that is now being being uh, being looked at uh, we hope it would be possible to start negotiating negotiating a, a treaty that would give broad guidance it would not be micro prescription it would give broad guidance on the basis of which sector specific regulation could be developed now some have argued that this would stifle innovation but you may have uh, and i'm sure many of you are aware of the position taken by many big companies in recent times uh, all the very big ones the googles the facebooks the microsofts uh, of this world and many smaller ones who've argued in fact in favor of regulation because they are aware of the abuse that can be made of their technology and uh, they very much re uh, realize that good regulation uh, is uh, good for innovation for responsible innovation and for trusted ai which of course is uh, what we are also working for and given the impact that ai will have on our societies it is extremely important that we decide and I'll conclude with this 
that we decide very clearly what we want AI to do, how we want AI to do what we delegate it to it, but also what we decide AI should not do. Thank you very much for your attention. Thanks for tuning into the Future Positive Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Some of you have asked how to support the show. If you like this episode, please leave a rating on Apple. It really does help. And speaking of AI, this week, XPRIZE and Cognizant partnered to launch the Pandemic Response Challenge, a new $500,000 four-month competition. This challenge will focus on developing AI and data-driven systems to predict COVID-19 infection rates and prescribe intervention plans that regional governments, communities, and organizations can implement to minimize harm when reopening their cities and restarting their communities. We're calling all data scientists, programmers, and designers to get involved. If you or anyone you know wants to compete, you can learn more and register at xprize.org slash pandemic response. This podcast comes from XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people and rising, delivering radical breakthroughs for the benefit of humanity. Sign up to join us and support the movement that is making a change in the world 10 times faster. Whether it's lending a hand, a dollar, or an idea, we all have a role to play in making the future a better place. The only way to get the future we want is to create it ourselves. Learn more at xprize.org. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.